Welcome to the Accidental Fatherhood Podcast with James and Ash. We started this podcast because there isn't a lot of support out there for us guys. We're going through a pretty tough time right now. Yeah. Yeah. Accidents, not mistakes. Unplanned pregnancies and new relationships and what is going on with our lives. So we're trying to bring a little bit of support through some awesome special guests and it's a place to commiserate together. <laughs> and we are rolling. Welcome everyone to the Accidental Fatherhood Podcast. You're here with James and Ash, as per usual. And we're joined by a second Ash today. Um, Ashley, would you like to give us a bit of an introduction onto, on, on who you are and what you actually do? Sure. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So my name is Dr. Ashley Moreland and I am based in Melbourne, Australia. So I'm excited to be joining you guys on Zoom. And what I do is really what I call sovereign soul connections. So my background is neurophysiology. My PhD is in neuroplasticity. And what I found is that in human relationships, the nervous system really, really um, predicts how we relate with and to others in our surroundings. So when we are feeling really safe and really regulated, our nervous system is in a safe state we relate really nicely. We can respond instead of being reactive. But when our nervous system is really um, activated and it's detecting threat in our environment, we might be more likely to defend or attack or react in a less than desirable way. So I support people in going within and supporting them as individuals. But then I also work with families. I work in organisations, supporting teams. I work in schools. So really across the board, but with the same fundamental uh, goal, yeah, across all of those areas. Awesome. So officially the smartest person on our show today. (laughs) We've had a couple of doctors. We've had a couple of doctors. We We're used to this. We shouldn't discredit them. But definitely the smartest person here in, the three in this, this, in this virtual definitely group. Definitely the smartest Ash here. Let's just say that. <laughs> My nickname as a kid was the sponge because I just, like, imagine seeing a sponge on water and it just soaks it up. That's me with information. It's yep. a superpower but also has been to my detriment throughout my life as well. Awesome. And you are a parent as well? Yes. Yeah, I have a nine-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter, and they're both amazing. Um, Really, my journey towards wanting to understand human behaviour started because of my sons. So he had a pretty severe adverse reaction to his 12-month immunisations. He was pretty perfect before that, no previous issues. And, uh, yeah, he, within three days, regressed in every aspect of his life. Um, and he's got all the diagnoses. I call it the D-soup, um, you know, ASD, ADHD, like all the Ds. And so I really just jumped headfirst into understanding the nervous system and understanding behaviour and me as a parent because I was not coping. Right. <laughs> um, and that took a huge strain on my marriage with his dad and impacted our lives across the board. And if you don't mind me asking, are you still, uh, you're not with the current, the, your first, the first father? And No, no. So we separated, oh gosh, in 2018 and 
my husband, I'm remarried, and he is the accidental father in our home. So he was actually not able to biologically have his own children. And I absolutely knew that I didn't want more children. So it was really a a perfect matchup when we met. And yeah, he has stepped into what what our kids call him their co-dad, which is really cool. I love that. Um, But it's been an interesting journey for him because he sort of says, you know, I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) I'm coming in where these kids are actual people and I have absolutely no idea how to be a dad. Um, I have no idea what I'm doing. So, yeah, it's a bit of a journey. Yeah. And I I guess that happens a lot to fathers. They come into a uh, or meet someone that has children and have that dynamic going on and they're essentially accidental fathers because they, they don't really know how to be a dad and they haven't had that learning process up until then either. Um, and what's what's their relationship like? Are they because uh, I imagine there would be a lot of pressure on uh, the new the new dad or the new partner coming in to not being the real dad. What what is that dynamic like mm. for the kids? And is does he feel the pressure of that? Yeah, look, it's an interesting one. Especially my relationship with my ex husband is also quite interesting, and it's certainly not the norm. So um, I felt when we separated, even though obviously you don't separate because it's rainbows and butterflies in a relationship, <laughs> we had our reasons for separating. And I felt really strongly that as a family unit, we would not separate and become two families. So no matter what happened, whoever came in was actually just joining our family. And if that meant that he met another partner that had children, then we by default got more children that way as well. Um, so for my my husband, my current husband, Steve, that was really interesting to navigate because from a human behaviour perspective, gosh, we were living separated under one roof when Steve and I met. And so there's lots of stories that that brings up for people. Like, are they even really separated? And there might be jealousy there and all these kinds of things. Um, And also navigating our new relationship with my ex-husband, who when you think that you are over each other and those kinds of things, and then there's a new relationship and stuff comes up, you know. Mm -hmm. So we've had to navigate all of that. Um, And also probably more from my ex-husband's perspective, I think, feeling or navigating the feelings that come along with having someone else in our kids' lives. And I haven't had to deal with that yet. So as much as I would love to say, oh, you know, it'll be smooth sailing and I'll be fine with it because I'm, you know, I I deal with behaviour and trauma and all all that kind of stuff, when he does have a significant other in his life and our children have a co-mum, that's something that I'll have to navigate. But, yeah, it's definitely just been an interesting journey in our children understanding that they have one biological father but now they actually have another adult male role model in their lives to love them and nurture them and support them and I just think that that is so special and so beautiful so yeah I think we're really really blessed it hasn't been an easy road but it's absolutely worth it yeah and you and the father the the father of the of your children he was how did he go with that transition as well bringing that other new man role model into that family dynamic was that was that tricky or yeah look the way that I've seen it is that there's always going to be ups and downs but the downs were never enough to make me um compromise my highest value of being one family unit so 
it's just accepting that there were times when he found that really challenging and being rather than being triggered by him being triggered, actually meeting that with compassion and understanding and going, I actually do understand that from a human perspective, that's hurtful for him. Mm. But over time, by me remaining kind of, um, like I said, compassionate and nurturing and understanding of that, it creates a safe relationship and it creates um, certainty that actually nothing's changing. So over time, yeah, he's been really great. Yeah, and I, I feel like it would be what's best for the kids too. You'd have that mentality about it's what's best for the kids and it's not yeah. so much about what all about you anymore. It's like, I oh know, there's kids involved here and we've got to be really careful. And I feel, I feel like because you love them so much, then that, that really becomes a big important part of that relationship that you're having with your ex-partner or new father or... And yeah, yeah, 100%. And it's really interesting because, like I said before, I work with families and whether a couple are together or whether they're separated, it actually is redundant in terms of the impact that it has on a child because a child can experience trauma with parents who are together and a child can experience trauma with parents who are separated. But likewise, a child can experience love and safety and, and um, regulated relationships with parents who are together, and they can also equally experience that with parents who are separated. So it's actually not about the outcome of the relationship, and I think that's a really important message for this accidental fatherhood in the sense that it actually doesn't matter. You're not ruining a child's life if you stay together or you're not ruining a child's life if you separate because it's then about how you choose to navigate that relationship in a healthy and safe way moving forward. Yeah, because it would be it would be better for the children to be with their parents when they're both happy rather than being with their parents when they're together and upset and fighting all the time. So for the kids it would be a better it's it's better in the long term if you're in a bad if you're in an unhappy situation not to stay there because of the kids because mm-hmm. and you're miserable and unhappy and you're clashing and it's not good for anyone to actually mm-hmm. be happy with someone else as sad as that could be sometimes but you're happy with someone else, but your kids see you happy and you can share that. You know. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It was a really confronting moment actually because we obviously doubted. We actually did marriage counselling after we had separated. And it was a really, um, it was an interesting journey actually. But one day my car was being serviced and our son was with me when I dropped the car off and um, my ex-husband had come to pick us up to take us home. And as we were driving, our son from the back seat just said, thank you so much for living in different houses now. And we just <laughs> looked at each other and we were like, what? <laughs> and he goes, oh, well, when you lived in the same house, you, mummy used to cry a lot and daddy used to be angry a lot and now you're both just happy. Yeah. And it was so, like it was such a profound moment of affirmation that we were doing what was best for us and then by default by doing what was best for us it was actually in the best interest of our kids because I grew up in a home where my mum and dad had an extremely toxic relationship I remember writing diary entries I just wish my parents would separate but then also when my dad would get like really angry I would resent my mum for keeping us there in that environment because I felt unsafe um I was only reflecting on this recently. It was just a really interesting way to grow up um, 
yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and Bart Bart said that we had a, a previous psychologist on, and he was like, kids pick up energy; they can tell, yeah. and like it, they they do get impacted by all of that stuff. So mm-hmm. it's not it's not necessarily even what you say, but it's how you're acting and how you're showing up at home. And you, if you if you felt that when you were growing, and I felt that with my parents fighting when I was younger, it just feels so uncomfortable, and you just don't know what to do because you know they're just fighting. You don't want to, you know, what do you do? Someone's angry, and they're both yelling, and it's like, well. Not that my parents did it very often. I, I, I probably count on one hand in my whole life that those tiny moments, but you still remember those. It's, uh, yeah, it's it's not a good feeling to be in that position, yeah, at all for a child. Yeah, and from a brain development perspective, like from about the age of two up until roughly, oh, gosh, it, it changes between males and females. Males' brains are fully developed a bit later than females. But let's say up until 20 or even later, we effectively feel solely responsible for the happiness and well-being of our caregivers. And so what that manifests as, like I'll use examples from my own childhood. Um, my father, when I was a child, was an alcoholic. And if you looked at the mental health of his family, that was quite a common characteristic. And yeah, like my dad was an alcoholic and that was prevalent in his family. But as a child, I, my sole job was to make sure he was happy. Have you guys ever heard of the Adverse Childhood Events um, Research or the ACEs? No. Oh, it is profound. So you need to look up that research. It's so cool. So, I mean, it's, it's messed up, but it's so cool. And this is really where the understanding of childhood trauma came about because what they found is that people who had experienced these particular sets of events in their childhood, like um, moving houses, parents separating, um, chronic illness of a, of a parent, and, and a whole heap of different scenarios or events, actually were um, in some cases up to hundreds of times more likely to experience physical health issues, um, up to 20 uh, 20 years less in life expectancy, all these health outcomes later in life when they were no longer children. And that is a product of childhood trauma. So with my dad and the example that I was giving, I learned at a very young age that if I won a BMX event, my dad was happy. And so even when I didn't even like racing BMX anymore, I was still training my butt off because I knew that that got me the significance and connection with my dad that I craved. But that creates a codependence relationship, right? Because my okayness and my worthiness of love was dependent on my performance, Mm -hmm. which made my dad happy. But if I wasn't performing and I wasn't winning, I wasn't being a good girl, then I questioned whether I was worthy of love. Yeah. But actually my dad's mental health and my dad's frame of mind and my dad's drinking behaviours and all of those things had absolutely nothing to do with me. He wasn't drinking because I was a a naughty child, you know. And and to his credit, my dad is um, our relationship now is the most beautiful relationship that I probably have in my life, and that's taken a lot of healing. Mm-hmm. So, is, is your dad and yeah. mum still together, Ash? Do they Pardon? are they still together? Your dad and mum? No, no. So my parents separated. Gosh, probably eight years ago. Oh wow! Um, yeah. So finally, as an adult, I was an adult, and they separated. But that was the interesting thing because. 
The other thing was that my mum said that she was staying for the kids. But I knew that my mum was deeply unhappy. And so as a child, she never said, it's your fault that I'm unhappy. But because as a child, you don't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex. And so your ability to think logically and rationally is is not there. So I can logically look back and go, oh, the reason mum was staying was because of these logical adult reasons. But I didn't have a fully developed prefrontal cortex. So when my mum is saying, oh, I'm just staying for the kids, but then my mum is deeply unhappy because she's staying, what assumptions am I making? My mum is unhappy because I'm here. Mm. I had my first suicide attempt when I was 14 because I believed that if I wasn't here, my mum could leave, and if my mum left, she would not. She would be happy. Wow. Yeah, heavy. And it's yeah, massive. And it's, it's, yeah, how you came to those assumptions as well. Well, this is how we form belief systems. So, so to develop a belief system, we have to experience an emotion first. So I'll use an example. Um, when my daughter was four, she's a crafter. She absolutely loves doing crafts. So she would bring home bags of craft from daycare every single day. And I physically could not keep it all. So I would go through her bag and I'd keep, you know, the ones that she put a lot of time and effort into. That's reflective of my value systems. And I would put one aside and I'd put the rest in the bin. And then I'd take it from the kitchen bin out to the wheelie bin outside. And I did that for like two years and she was none the wiser. And one night I forgot to take it from the kitchen bin out to the wheelie bin. And the next morning she went to put an apple core in the bin and found all of her craft Mm. in the bin. And she has burst into tears, like the most epic tears you've ever heard. What assumptions do you think she might have made seeing her craft in the bin? Mm. I can imagine. Yeah. I'm not, very, I'm not a very good Brainstorm drawer. With me. What's that? Not a very good drawer? Yeah, so I suck it up maybe. What <laughs> yeah. else? Yeah. Suck it what up. Or mum doesn't love my the stuff I give her. Like, mum doesn't love what I give her? Yeah. My effort's wasted. My effort's yeah. wasted? I wasted all that time to please my mother and she's just thrown it out in the bin. Like yeah. I feel yeah. probably unseen, unheard, unwanted. Yeah, I'd feel all those things, all those negative yeah. Emotions. Yeah. Unseen, unheard, unwanted. Now imagine she's not a four-year-old anymore. Imagine she's a 34-year-old. She's married. She's got a couple of kids. And now in her relationship, what's her biggest complaints? I feel unseen. I feel unheard. I feel unwanted. That's been the pattern in her entire life. It's got nothing to do with her husband. It's got to do with the time she was four and her mum threw a craft in the bin. That's the effect of trauma and that's how belief systems work. So we will then perpetuate, once we've got that belief system stored as data in our deep brain areas, that then perpetuates what comes into our conscious awareness for the rest of our lives until we rewrite the belief system. Mm. That was literally going to be my next um, question for you. Okay, so obviously you've had a bit of a traumatic upbringing and whatnot with an alcoholic father, Um, not to just put it on that, but other things. Um, and you, and even simple things. As an adult, how do you go about breaking those belief systems, breaking them down mm. so that you can be a normal person, so that you can sort of break the mould, if that makes sense? Yes. <laughs> I love that you said be a normal person. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing, right? I left home 
which was in my country town in Queensland and moved to Melbourne on my own when I was 16. And I did a double degree at uni and my whole adult life was I I would get a high distinction, but if I lost two marks, I would be like, <gasps> it, it felt suffocating. I had these perfectionist tendencies. Um, I would work three jobs, do a double degree full time. I could never be present. Mm-hmm. And if I was present, if I was alone, I couldn't be present in my body. I would be scrolling on my phone. I'd be watching movies. I'd be doing whatever I could to not be present in the moment. So was and was achieving for you how you um, got your value? Was that yeah. just achieving? So human needs, right? Um, the model that I use in human needs has six elements. So there's certainty. And this is about safety. So the human needs models is really talking about we need these things in order to feel safe. So the first one is is certainty. If we have certainty, then we feel safe. The next one is variety. So if you've ever sat in something and been bored out of your brains, that's when you know you need variety. Variety is actually really important. Um, The next one is significance. And significance is feeling seen, feeling heard, feeling appreciated, all of those things. And the last one is connection and love. Now, they're the four that we can work on or that are least likely to be met. The last two are contribution and growth, which happen as a product of the first four being met. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I got significance and I got connection by achieving, by things outside of me. And so when I achieved and when I behaved in a certain way, when I was quiet, when I brought, you know, brought my dad a beer and, and I did these things, I ticked these boxes, I got significance. Oh, good girl. Thanks. Oh, well done. You know, that's what I got that praise for. And I got connection. And I also got my certainty because I was certain that if it, if I did those things, I would get predictable outcomes yeah and so as an adult that then got wired into my nervous system so as an adult that was my behavior it was never safe for me to be present in my body and in relationships how damaging is that for deep safe nurturing connection if you're never fully present you guys could be in the same room but if you're both on your phone or off with the fairies or you know not actually present then you're not connecting yeah and if if someone's love language is acts of service i think you do pretty well <laughs> yeah except i'm always at the expense <laughs> of me right yeah um so back to your question ash as an adult i got to a point like my marriage failed I wasn't present with my kids. My son would come up and close my laptop and say, no, mommy, you play with me now because I would just work 24-7. Um, I would, he would come and ask me to play with him and then all of a sudden my brain would notice the dirty dishes on the bench. I'd go, oh, no, 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 I have to, I have to do this now. I have to, and I, I just could not stop. I couldn't even sit down and watch a movie with my kids. Now, don't get me wrong. I mean, that paid off, right? I'd done a double degree. I had a PhD. I was earning six figures by a really young age. I've, I, I had built a house by 22. I had all this stuff that I had achieved. And the dishes were clean. <laughs> and the dishes were clean. Amazing. The house was immaculate. Immaculate. <laughs> I was deeply, deeply unhappy. Yeah. And, I, I, can, and I can so relate with you because I do have perfectionism tendencies really? and goal-orientated <laughs> tendencies. Yeah. Yeah. 
Couldn't tell, James. Couldn't tell. But yeah, I, yeah. I. So what you're saying here, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm. I'm definitely feeling what you're putting down here because those tendencies come with me, and with that also comes anxiety as well. So I'm be interested yeah. to see if anxiety played a role in your growing up as well, and and how you dealt with that, um, especially yeah. now knowing all the all the things, right? Awesome. Exactly. And that's, that's exactly it. I had, um, all kinds of diagnoses growing up. So, um, I had anxiety diagnoses, depression at times, um, ADHD, uh, uh, eating disorders. I had all kinds of, um, diagnoses growing up, but effectively all of those things point to a nervous system that's dysregulated and a nervous system is dysregulated in unsafety. So what is unsafety? Well, uncertainty, if that certainty need is not met, so the fear of the unknown, the fear of abandonment, a fear of rejection. So for me, if I wasn't performing, my connection and significance to my my the people who needed to care for me and who my survival depended on was threatened. And so I'm going to learn pretty quickly to adapt, aren't I? Mm-hmm. So anxiety is all of the symptoms that kind of come up with anxiety, like people often report um, hot flashes, racing heart, sweaty palms, racing thoughts. All of these kinds of symptoms are actually all driven by the deep parts of the brain, so our um, stress response parts yeah. of the brain. And, yeah, and, and it's, that, it's almost it's that, yeah, there's a lot of fear there. There's a lot of fear and uncertainty of like, um, yeah, not feeling safe. And I've gotten to a point where I don't know if you've ever leant on the back of a chair and it nearly goes and you go, Whoop! and you have that kind of shock to your system, you know, mm-hmm. like this. Um, I've had that with anxiety where I've just, and, and these triggers throughout the whole day, I'm like, oh man, that, yeah. where did that come from? And that's the worst um, bouts of anxiety I've had coming, showing yeah. really physical signs within my body. Um, yeah. And yeah, it lasted ages. Yeah. And yeah, it was hard to actually overcome that because. Yeah, I, even when you're trying to rest or meditate, um, your thought goes there and then it's like, bang, yes. you just get triggered. And yes. it's like, how do, I stop, exactly. how do I stop thinking about that stuff so I stop getting triggered? And yeah. Yeah, I found that really challenging. And, and that's a really good question. And so, again, we're circling back to your question, Ash, how did I actually become a normal human being? So I have no, pretty much no diagnosis <laughs> anymore. I, I, I don't, well, I don't relate to diagnosis anymore. Um, and actually my son, who I said to you, at the age of three, this was the breaking point for me, right? I had taken my son to pediatrician from three states. Um, I had done everything in Western medicine that attempted to help my child and I got nowhere. And when he was three, so he was at the extent of I couldn't even have the air conditioning on in the car. When, oh, sorry, the heating on in the car. We lived in Bathurst at the time. It was minus seven degrees in winter because he couldn't, he couldn't stand the sound of the air coming through the vents. He would repeatedly smack his head into concrete and he, you know, he was in the hospital um, for concussions and he would have these bouts of rage, like full-blown rage tantrums where I would restrain him to try and keep him safe. And when he was three, I was like crying on the floor going, I'm already not strong enough to to hold you and you're only going to get bigger and stronger and I didn't know what to do. And so my own healing journey has actually been a product of learning everything to help him. And now as a nine-year-old, like I was told, he would never attend mainstream school. He was kicked out of three separate childcare centres because they couldn't um, cater to him. And he now as a nine-year-old attends mainstream school. 
He's not medicated. He is a beautiful child. He sleeps all night. He's, he's a beautiful kid. And I'm also a regulated, healthy, functioning adult. I have a healthy relationship with my husband. I have a life that I don't need to escape from. I'm very present. I don't have my phone on me 24-7 anymore because I don't need that um, opportunity to escape every second of the day. And so it's that journey has actually been about understanding the nervous system effectively and what is activation. Activation is those stress centres. So if I show you with my hands, if I put my thumbs across, here you guys can, do you want to learn neuro? Yes, please. Yeah. (laughs) So put your thumbs across like this and then wrap your fingers over them, put it together. So that's basically your brain, right? So you've got two hemispheres of your brain. Now, if I take one away just so that we can dissect it, this on the outside of the brain here is the cortex. So that's the the, um, outer surface of the brain. Are we taking one away as well? Now, the cortex is where our sensory information reaches for us to have sensory awareness of our world. So for us to have awareness of something, it must reach the outside of our brain. Mm -hmm. And then if you lift the fingers up, the midbrain area here is like it's what's known as our limbic system. And then if we extend that finger out, this um, hindbrain, which is the equivalent of like the back of my head down here, the hindbrain is the part of the brain that's constantly on the lookout for threat mm. in the environment. Your fight or flight. And is that, yeah, is that fight like or your flight. reptilian so or monkey brain, that, that brain? Same one? Yeah, reptilian. Yeah, yeah. So um, now the interesting thing is that during pregnancy, if a mother is highly stressed during pregnancy, we have stress hormones. We've got cortisol, we've got adrenaline. That'll be in our bloodstream. And if it's in our bloodstream, what's feeding a baby Mm. while it's in utero? It's coming through the placenta. And so if a baby's brain is literally developing in utero, with high concentrations of stress hormones, this part of the brain preferentially develops over the rest of the brain. And so even when that baby is born, they're born hypersensitive to threat in their environment. I'm going to have to give Alex a massage when I get home because yeah. I don't want, <laughs> she needs to reduce the stress. <laughs> yeah. And so being a fantastic father starts way before a baby's born. <laughs> sure does. Because you, yep. you can literally manipulate the, the, your your child's future behaviours before they're born by ensuring that the biochemical environment and the physiological environment in which that baby is literally growing is promoting healthy brain development. Mm. And... Everything in your environment, you're just on hyper lookout for threat. Yeah. Threat, 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 threat. And so that part of the brain is getting activated and activated and activated. You're responding to threats that aren't really there. Yeah, like the jaguar in the jungle, huh? Like Exactly, yeah. right? And so for me, <laughs> please explain. Big we, were we, we might have to explain in, that one, Ashley. Sorry. Yeah, we didn't the jaguar all go. in the jungle. Yeah, we, we explain that. We saw, we saw Yossi Ginsberg over the weekend, you and I did, and he explained of he, he was in that movie, The Jungle, with um, Harry Potter. Um, and, you know, the actor, what's his name? Daniel Radcliffe. Um, anyway. Doing a good job, James. <laughs> it's a movie called The Jungle, and it's about Yossi Ginsberg, and he goes into the jungle and he literally fights for his life for three weeks. Oh, good. Um, literally fight. Is it and coming out? It's out already. It's on Netflix. Oh. 
Um, but he would wake up in, well, he'd actually have experiences with Jaguar circling him. He's literally got a lighter and a, a can of, I don't know what he had. Um, but anyway, he'd wake up, he'd wake up in the morning and there'd be just paw prints all around him from where he's been sleeping. And he said the problem with, uh, and he goes, I know what it's like to be circled by Jaguars in the like in the jungle and being scared for my life. And he goes, the problem with us these days is we think there's Jaguars in the jungle. We think there's Jaguars around us. And yeah. in, actual fact, in actual fact, they're not, there's not actually any Jaguars there. And it's just our yeah. mental state is putting us into that um, fight or flight when it's not necessary. And it's just in that really high intense world that we live in that's kind of causing those reactions in our body and our mind. So, yeah. If our Jaguars are constructed in our mind. Now, this is an interesting thing, right? So we have an entire industry called the mental health industry. As a neuroscientist, I wanted every answer to be in the brain. I wanted the nervous system to be the answer to everything. And I know I've spoken a lot about the nervous system today, but actually the definition of mental is relating to the mind. Now, as a neuroscientist, I've seen lots of scans of nervous systems and bodies. There is no structure called a mind. It doesn't exist. And so what's a mind? A mind is actually an emergent property of experiences that we have as humans that we then make sense of. So just like the example I gave before of my daughter, her making sense of those experiences were wrong. Mm. It was lies. It was distorted. Of course I love her. Of course I loved her art. I can't possibly keep it all. But in our first, particularly our first seven years of life, our meaning making of the world is entirely shaped by those around us. The number one predictor of mental illness of pretty much across the board for every single thing in the DSM-5. Now, the DSM-5 is the um, diagnostic something manual for basically mental health disorders. It's what um, psychologists or psychiatrists use to diagnose mental health disorders. And slightly higher than the DSM-4, I'm guessing. Yeah, (laughs) by one. (laughs) So the DSM, um, the number one predictor of those um, disorders is uh, regulated relationships. Yeah, right. Integrated relationships. If you have, and and they've done these really messed up experiments, right? So they got babies (laughs) and they got their mums to play with them. So baby, mum. And mum is really connected, responding to the baby's needs, responding to the coups, responding to all this. And then they did this experiment where the mother just was like this. She just, it's called the still face experiment. So she no longer responded. Absolutely. No noise, no facelift. Is it? Pardon? Resting bitch face. Yeah, basically. So absolutely no response whatsoever. Now the baby, their behaviour started to change. It became more erratic. So they did everything they could in their behavioural repertoire. They made noise. They, you know, waved their arms. They looked around. They did everything they could to try and recapture the attention of the mother. And she didn't respond and the child became really, really um, distressed. Yeah. But that is considered trauma. But the interesting thing isn't that that was trauma. The interesting thing was that the determining factor as to whether that became an ongoing trauma was the repair of the relationship. So if the mother actually then came in a soon while later and was very responsive again, very deeply connected and very physiologically um, coherent, 
the baby's physiology returned to normal. But if that didn't happen, the baby's physiology maintained that imprint of the stress response. Now, isn't that fascinating? Because for most of us, we are living in an environment that's unpredictable where our needs are not being met, where we've got 27,000 things that we have to do. We've got to cook the dinner. We've got to wipe the plates. We've got to put this there. We've got to get the drink. We've got to (laughs) do all the stuff. And all the child wants is the attention. And it's that repair that is safe. And like I've I've used the word, safety, nurturing, um, attentive, deeply connected. That is the most critical feature that will determine whether or not people go on to have mental health disorders. And that's also a very healing factor in people who have these experiences. If someone can remain really regulated and really connected, even if we're being really erratic, like let's say I'm having a tantrum, if my husband responds to my tantrum by being triggered by my tantrum, we play a a stress response domino. Mm -hmm. But if I'm having a tantrum and he can remain absolutely grounded and absolutely regulated and say, I'm sorry, this is really hard for you right now. What do you need? Right. Yeah. And then hold space. Trick for young players. Trick for young players. What I'd like to know is what part of that is you're saying that um, having that relationship with each other um, helps with mental illness. Yeah. Is mental illness, is there still that, you know, nature or nurture? Is there still part of that DNA that causes mental illness? Obviously, still still that element. Yeah. But you're saying that this will help navigate that a little bit further. Um, yeah, so it's about bringing safety back. If we, Because if there's safety, it's going to this part of the brain. It's going to the top parts of the brain. But if there's not safety, yeah. it's being tackled here. So this will form the reactive patterns of behaviour, the defensiveness, the attack, the phys- where the physiology goes and you get more tense. And anxiety is a product of this part of the brain. Mm-hmm. So I was in therapy for over 20 years and I would – get really frustrated going, if I took my car to the mechanic with a flat tire for 20 years and still had a flat tire, I'd be going, there's something wrong. Like what, what are they doing? Yeah. So did a lot of, did a lot of your healing come from repairing some relationships? Well, I healed the trauma from a nervous system perspective first. So um, that's like the modalities that I use with people. I, I'm trained in a whole heap of different things. So um, soul-based therapies, hypnotherapy, a whole heap of modalities that really target the deep parts of the brain. And now there's a lot more known about embodiment work. So embodiment work is really like um, if you bring a knowledge to your awareness and if you were just sitting here, have you ever had an experience where you could just be sitting here and just the thought of something can activate you. Yeah. And when you when you use the word activate, is that another word for triggering? Because I've heard some, yeah, I've heard yeah. someone else say, I don't like the word activation. I like I think it was Candace. She said I, I yeah, use the word Candace. Yeah, I've listened to that. I yeah. use the word activate, not trigger. <laughs> yes. Exactly. I so I like the word activate because you are activating a response in your nervous system. So if you don't know what that feels like, go and hop in the shower, have a nice warm shower and then turn the hot water off it like rapidly and let the cold water go on your skin because even though the stimulus is safe, I mean, water is not going to kill you, but it activates your nervous system because your nervous system perceives that as a threat. 
And so if you want to know what your nervous system feels like when it's activated, go and have a really cold shower. And those sensations that happen in your body, really pay attention to that because they will be very similar to your experience of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, It's just that. that we call it anxiety from a diagnostic label perspective, but physiologically it's a perception of threat. And so you can then train your nervous system to um, override that uh, detection of threat. And that could be as simple as going, there's my shampoo, I'm safe. There's my soap. I'm safe. I'm in my shower. I'm safe. It's just water. I'm safe. Mm -hmm. And so as you do that, your physiology will actually start to return back to a normal level. So your heart rate will start to come down. Your breathing rate will normalize. And that's a really great way to actually feel what that activation feels like, but then also to, to learn that you can overcome that. And the modalities that I use are all about processing trauma, every experience that we have is actually stored at a cellular level in our body. So if you were two days old and your mother abandoned you at a, um, I don't know, fire station because she didn't want you, and then you were adopted by the most loving family and you never even knew you were adopted, your body remembers the, the feeling of being abandoned, the fear, the uncertainty, the lack of connection, And so you might go through your life with this fear of rejection or fear of abandonment that makes absolutely no sense. It might keep you in relationships that you know are absolutely toxic, but you're so scared to leave or you're so scared of them leaving you. And it's because your body at a cellular level remembers that. Mm. And then that's not even talking about intergenerational trauma yet. Yeah, which I've heard about as well. Yeah, like through your DNA, right? Yeah, that's a whole other thing. Um, Um, One thing we learned on the weekend, which I really loved, and it was one of my takeaways, we had Peter Crone. If anyone knows who Peter Crone is, he's a mind architect. And I thought it was very useful when he said about anxiety or depression that, A, that we have to love all these parts of ourselves and every part of that, every part, whether it's depression, anxiety, or any of these things, they're all the human experience. So we should accept and love all of those experiences, even if we don't want them. It's still a part of our experience and we need to love them. But one thing I really liked that he said was uh, instead of saying, I have anxiety, um, simply say, and you're taking ownership and not letting it go, say that there is anxiety at the moment. Yeah, or this, or this anxiety. Or this anxiety, not saying it's yours, not owning it, so that, you know, there is anxiety right now within me or there, yes. is de- there is depression, not saying I have it, I thought yes. was a really clever way of disassociating with that, um, that you know, that experience. Uh, yeah, it's huge. And if you pay attention to language, I pull people up. Every single time I have a new client contact me, I'll be really attentive to the language that they're using. And they'll say, oh, my panic attacks. And I'll go, no, that's the last time these, that you label them as yours. They're not yours. You don't want them anymore. (laughs) And so this language that we're using is so powerful, but here's why. So I really loved that, um, that he spoke about that, about accepting these parts of us, but here's why. If you have anxiety, it's only there because it believes it needs to keep you safe from something. Right. And so if I, if this deep um, hind brain here detects a threat let's say the most common example is someone reads your message and doesn't reply 
that can be really activating for some people. They can go, <gasps> anxiety. They get highly anxious. Now, why? what is that anxiety actually trying to keep them safe from in that moment? Not feeling wanted by the other person, I or guess, rejection. or not feeling important to the other person. Or rejected. Feeling rejected by the other person. Or, yeah, or ghosted if it's a dating Absolutely. App. If my sense of worth is dependent on what's happening outside of me, which is how I made sense of the world when I was a child. Because if I did this, that out there was okay. And when that out there was okay, I was safe. So if someone replies to my text message, I'm safe. But if they don't, I'm not. And so this is how our almost our whole society is codependent on everyone and everything around us. We will preferentially filter in this information of um, whether someone looks sideways at us or we smile at someone and they don't smile back. But realistically, they might have just not seen us. But that will activate the mind, which has the distorted meaning-making of our world from our childhood, which then comes into play and creates all these stories about, oh, they don't like me or I'm this or I'm that. And it actually just happened for me today. Um, I flew home today from Sydney and as I came home, I had this feeling come up inside of me of I'm not worthy of being missed. Mm. That's really interesting because I know that my husband missed me and I logically know that that makes no sense because I know that I'm worthy. But that actually has nothing to do with my husband. That's a deep feeling inside me. I don't know where it came from, with, but it's there. And now that I know it's there and I've observed it and identified it, I can actually overcome it. And that's really cool. So you start to get excited when you, when you notice these things coming up. Being away with two kids, I guarantee you were missed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I, exactly, it makes 100%. sense. 100%. <laughs> I rationally know that I was missed. Yeah. My girlfriend but... goes to the toilet and I miss her. <laughs> <laughs> Please be number one. <laughs> message, I was message her and she doesn't respond. <laughs> and I'm like, just, yeah. <laughs> uh, so if you guys, if I said to you, as a father, how would you want to be as a dad? What are the? What makes a good dad? What's a good dad to you? Um. Being present, I think, would make a great dad. That's be, number one for me. Yeah, number one. Just to be present. Yeah. When you're with them, be with them. Uh, be set, setting healthy boundaries, but also letting – I think boundaries is going to be one that you have to kind of work with because you want them to explore and learn. But I think if it's going to kill them, you need to put a boundary up, <laughs> you know. That's how I'm feeling. Like if they're going to get hurt, you need to help them out a little bit and say, hey, no, you're going to hurt. Um, so healthy boundaries, strong values. Uh, good provider. Good, provider gonna uh, be able to provide for them but yeah i think, I think what sort of values when you say strong values what do you mean by that um i think being well i'd like them to be honest have integrity have uh a love for their family uh yeah i think honesty is a big one honest honest with themselves and honest with others uh communicate i think is a great value I'm trying to think of the values i love yeah integrity but they're kind of my values 
<laughs> Sorry, I don't know. I feel like I've got, you know, this is like what Alan said the other day. I, my kid has all my values, which and he, I think he's turned out great. I'm like, yeah, he's got your values. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I, I just, that, you know, I don't know. Then why? What other? What, where does this? Am I setting myself up for a? Um, I don't think so. No, not here. at all. So, and when you say present, what does that mean? How do you know you're present? You know you're present because you're with them 100. percent You're not watching TV. You're not reading your phone. You're not um, easier said than done. Multitasking, but yeah, easier said than done. But you're there and you are with them. Like 100%. I would, I would love to be totally present, being able to play with my kid all day, every day. Doesn't happen. Does not happen at all. What's the barrier? Um, right now I'm tired. <laughs> like I'm just. Okay. Yeah, like my partner and I have been sick this week. Um, I was saying the James before, and we you get run down, and then all of a sudden that reptilian brain that you were talking about is just the only brain that's present. Mm-hmm. Add a ten ten month old baby in the mix, it's also unwell. Um, and then you're adding in no sleep. Um, for everybody in the house, then also other issues as well. Like I really struggle to sleep um, with the anxiety that is present in me. Is that the way of framing it? <laughs> I was really there conscious is there. Ah, yes, genius. Um, <laughs> You're learning already. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's there's a couple of things going on um, as well, and then also um, not to get too much into it, but I've been having like getting to sleep for me is actually really painful at the moment. I've got a hand injury and then my shoulder also hurts. And then because of my hand injury, I've got sleep apnea because I'm unhealthy at the moment. I'm not fit. I'm not going to the gym. So it's like I've got sleep apnea, so I'm sleeping with a machine. I've got to sleep on my left side because that's the way the hose points out. Um, and then, yeah. so Which hose? The hose for the mask. It, yeah, not for the... <laughs> Not for the toilet, <laughs> not for the other hose. Not there yet. So, like, um, so it, it is really hard. Like, I would love to be present more if one thing that – and I've actually um, – I wanted to start journaling practice this week where I reflect daily on um, what I could – of the day, like just play over my head of the day what I could do better. So just mm. visualise the whole day and then write down – okay, what did I do better? What did I, maybe it's waste money on, I wasted money on X, Y, and Z today, or um, I shouldn't have got up Billy when, you know, for that I should have been more present, or, you know, maybe I shouldn't have strolled on TikTok for that half hour on the toilet. Maybe I should have just done my wee and got out of there. (laughs) (laughs) Was that a fake two? Mm, Yeah, fake twos are the best. Um, But sometimes (laughs) (laughs) it's like must be peace and quiet. Like, (laughs) yeah, just need to go to the toilet for a minute. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So, but being present is one thing that I think everybody would love to do. Um, and as you've alluded to a number of times already today, it's so important for relationships to be present as well as your own well-being. But it's really hard. I wish I could go back in time and like shoot the person that invented mobile phones. Mm. Like, oh, I've got this great idea. Bang! Just oh, there we go. Saved a whole lot of mental health issues for the rest yeah. of the world. Oh gosh, I don't. <laughs> I love my mobile phone. It's so handy. I can do my banking wherever I am. I can buy yeah. <laughs> Uber Eats. Mm. I love my mobile phone. Yeah. But how different would your life be if it was safe for you to be present and you weren't looking for an out? Mm. That's what I was going to say. Like, I know I keep busy sometimes, 
I keep myself mm. busy because I'm avoiding something. I'm either yeah. avoiding a conversation. I'm there's things on my mind I don't want to think about. So avoidance, like we talked about with um, Clive a couple of weeks ago. So there's it's definitely sometimes where I'm avoidant. So it's not always being present. It's because there's something I'm avoiding. So that that comes up for me a little bit. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. I probably am avoiding a lot of stuff. I don't know. I think I, I also think meditation helps because I can actually sit there and not feel like I need to do something else. I can be present because you have to with That's meditation. Good. You just you are just sitting there, and you your brain goes, "Oh, I need to do this. I need to do this," and you have got that to do list going on. But if you can sit there for half an hour and meditate and not not feel like you need to go somewhere all the time, you're actually training mm. your brain to actually when you sit down with your um, I find when I sit down with my nephew is the closest I can get to having uh, my baby right now. But when I sit with my nephew who's two, I will just, I won't pull my phone out. I won't do anything. I will actually just be there with him the whole time and play with him and just I'm there for him 100%. And not only to keep him safe, but I just want to, I really cherish that time that I've got with him as well and just I'm just fully present just watching him play. Yeah. I think the other thing is too is um, right now the first three months of Billy's life, she's just sitting there. I was totally present every day. You know, I would be like, sweet, it's Saturday. I'm nursing the baby. I've been at work, whatever it is. And, you know, you would what be present. What are you present. doing while nursing the baby? Um, not a lot. There was sometimes where if she was asleep, I would be watching um, either some Disney movies that I wanted to <laughs> sort of program into her, her head as a calming <laughs> technique. Or, Very dog- programming your baby yeah oh i did it straight away all the big bang i would watch the big bang theory i started the big bang when she was born re-watching it whenever i was up with her and now if she wakes up in the middle of the night and she's just not going back to sleep i can go and watch the big bang theory and instantly the voices everything calms up so it sort of worked <laughs> i don't know what damage i've done to her <laughs> but it, it sort of has worked um but now, as she's gotten older, um, I guess her energy, it's just so much more draining doing that. And then so I find, like, being present, even when she wants to be present, you know, like I had really good intentions, wake up early. Like when she wakes up, I can't wait. Like she comes into our bed at 5 o'clock for a feed. She'll lay there for about half an hour and then she'll just be, dad, 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 and, like, smacking me. And it's, I'm like, I can't get out of bed. I'm like, I'm exhausted at the moment. Um, mm. So it's sort of, and it's, I guess it's the same too. Like when you go downstairs, you might play with her for a bit and then you're like, oh, exhausted again. I'm just ju- going to jump on my phone, switch off. You know, for me, it's that, it's the phone for me is like, okay, let's just get some, get some. Um, Numbing. Know. Yeah. Let's just numb it out. Let's just turn off the brain for a minute. So that I can do round three, round four. That's a bit. T- that's, a, that's a bit TV for me. I like to put TV on and just kind of, you know, just chill, chill out and watch yeah, and not think about. We something. don't have screens at home. We've got a projector, so mm. because we didn't want to raise um, our kid in front of the TV. Yeah, we do no screen time Monday to Friday. Zero. Yeah, right. How old are you? How old are your kids? Nine and six. Nine and six. Wow, that's. Pretty good going. I reckon a kid, a kid plays 10,000 
hours of computer games before they're 12 or something. I don't know if that's Yeah, no, thing. not mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at, from a brain perspective, um, during COVID, my son started having seizures. And I was like, what the hell is going on? And it was because I'm in Melbourne. We did remote learning for a long time. Every single thing he did was on the iPad all day. And actually um, screens increase glutamate in the brain, which is an excitatory neurotransmitter. And particularly the smaller the screen, the higher the concentration of glutamate. And it's got to do with um, how close it is because if you're focusing on something that is very close to you, you don't have the same peripheral vision stuff going on as if you're watching a TV that you're far away from. And so it changes the way that your brain processes the information. So what does glutamate, so the, what does glutamate actually do? What is, what is that? Glutamate an excitatory neurotransmitter. So glutamate um, for any kind of seizures is basically um, the thing that wires the brain so much and activates the brain so much that it starts short circuiting. And when, um, there's, there's glutamate even from food sources, right? So MSG is monosodium glutamate. MSG in foods is really bad for your nervous system. Yeah. Um, but then it also naturally occurs in foods like peas have glutamates in them. So it's a really interesting thing. And, and my son started having these seizures and I had no idea what was going on. And actually, because I was still trying to work full time and I was alone with the kids, they were getting lots more screens, lots of iPad time, but also all of his schoolwork was on iPads. Mm. And I cut all screens and within about four days, the seizures stopped. So that was a big decision for me to go, nah, like we need to cull screens. And peas from the diet? What's that? And peas from his diet? (laughs) Peas? Cut peas. (laughs) Oh, dude, he, he had really strict dietary requirements I for a long peas. time. I I'm, I'm so happy you said I'm like, it's another reason not to eat them. I'm happy about that. <laughs> it's bad for my brain health. Yeah, it's bad for my – it's got glutamine. Glutamine's in it, guys. Glutamate. Glutamate, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I'm that's hilarious. It. Oh, James. So – Yeah, screens just for us. My kids, when we don't have any kind of TV on or um, no iPads, my kids actually play together. They engage beautifully together. Um, There has been my my preferred form of zoning out, Ash, I can relate to you, is just the phone. Like that's my when I'm overwhelmed and I need some space. But, again, it's about having the tools. Like I never had it modelled to me for an adult to say, I'm overwhelmed and I need some space or like that was just, I, I didn't even have that resource. And so I started modeling that to my kids. Like, okay, imagine you're in Aldi and you know how they fly the groceries to you at the checkout so fast. <laughs> and I'd have one kid over there licking it, licking the floor and another kid climbing <laughs> the trolley. And oh my God, this is crazy. I'm so overwhelmed right now. And so I started using that exactly that line where I go, I feel overwhelmed and I need you both to hold the trolley. And so they're like, oh, okay, and they'd both go and hold the trolley. And I was like, whoa, what just happened? And so recognising, like what I said before about the shower, if you know what it feels like for your nervous system to be activated, you're then in a better position to recognise it in the wild, in your real life. So if you feel that activation, And you can recognize that you're overwhelmed. The big one for me is auditory stimuli. So if 
you know, the dishwasher's on and the exhaust fan's on in the kitchen and the kids are playing and there's, uh, I don't know, something happening over there. That's a big source of overwhelm for me. Yeah, I get so that when, looking- I, when I hear two songs going at the same time. I'm like, far out, man. Like I used to DJ and I used to have to try and match the music. And when I hear two songs, I'm like, God, it puts my brain into haywire almost. Yeah. You? It's amazing, isn't it? two songs at once. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes when you go to Big Day Out, yeah, when you go to Big Day Out, there's like two, you know, you're in between the stages. And anyway, (laughs) off topic, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, but that's the thing. And so to be able, because we're all human, just because we're parents doesn't mean to say that we don't have a right to get overwhelmed sometimes. Yeah. We're human. It's okay. But it also, for me to say, guys, I'm just feeling a bit overwhelmed and I just need a bit of space right now. It also says to them, that shows them what to do when they're overwhelmed Mm, Yeah, because they can recognise what that overwhelm feels like and they know that it's okay to have some space until they're not feeling overwhelmed anymore. And so that's not time out. Like I put myself in time out because that's me um, re-regulating. Yeah. Yeah, that's so important. And so my son is nine and he will say, Mum, I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed and I just need some space. I'm just going to go to my room. And I'll say, okay, sweetheart, I'm here if you need me. But when someone's feeling really triggered or really threatened and someone else goes after them, that person going after them becomes the threat. Mm, Yeah. Because you're chasing. Imagine, yeah, imagine being chased while you feel like you're being chased. It's very threatening. So, but then likewise, it can also be triggering for someone if um, they walk off and you don't say, I'm here if you need me, or just let me know what you need, or I'm, I'm happy to help you, or whatever, because then that can be abandoning. Mm. So, it's really, really quite interesting. So, I want to come back to the presence thing. Um, if there were a threat in your environment, that you were trying to avoid because remember the flesh will always move away from pain or towards pleasure. So for me, that phone is a dopamine hit and dopamine is our pleasure centers. Yeah. Um, so my phone will be away from pain towards pleasure. Food was away from pain towards pleasure. Another really common one for men is porn. So Moving away from pain towards pleasure, porn is perfect for activating those pleasure centers in your brain. It makes you feel alive. So any of those behaviors, alcohol, drug substances, it doesn't matter what the issue is at the top that a client comes to me with, that issue, I know that issue is just a symptom because they're either trying to numb out something that is painful for them that they might not even be aware of. They might be trying to escape something that's painful because they're always moving towards something that acts as a pleasure. And so when we get to the root of what's actually going on for them, all of a sudden the, the need to escape pain disappears, the behaviours towards pleasure disappear because there's no pain to escape from. And it's, it's absolutely fascinating. And so for me, I don't even notice that I don't have my phone most of the time if I'm feeling really regulated and safe and I'm really present in my home and I'm really present if I go out for dinner and I'm really present in these situations. But if I'm feeling really uncomfortable and unsafe, 
my mind will say, where's my phone? Oh, I just got to check my phone. Oh, I'll just pick up. I won't even be thinking about it. It'll just happen. My phone will end up in my hands. I'll be like, oh, what am I doing? It's so unconscious. Mm. But it's all because part of the brain, this hind brain, is doing everything it can to try and automatically keep me safe without my awareness. So I'm hearing awareness is one of the first steps to um, understanding yourself and figuring out that, oh, I'm seeing this, and then you can learn to kind of manage that. Do you have any tools for people that are avoiding the pain who are unconscious or even don't know they're doing it? Is there any way we can help support them to see those unconscious behaviours or is there anything we can actually do if we're showing those kind of behaviours to navigate or um, get out of going to those safe places that are unhealthy, such as alcohol or drugs? Or Yeah, I was going to say, what is a great – I was going to ask, so maybe on top of James's question, double, what are some really question. good sources of healthy dopamine? I mean, we've got the obvious ones like cocaine, but I don't think you're going to advise people to do that. Well, I don't think that's healthy, but that's where it comes. That's what triggers it. Drives Interestingly, it. dopamine will come two ways. It'll either come because it's triggered by stress. So stress is recognition of pain, so we're seeking pleasure to avoid the pain. The other way that we can get dopamine is in conjunction with oxytocin. Do you know what oxytocin is? It's a love hormone. You want to... Yeah, that's released after sex, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. But it's released when you're deeply connected with someone, mm -hmm. when you're present with them. But the reason we can't be present is because we're all operating from the stress centres of our brain because we think that our whole environment is a threat. And so we then dive into these thoughts, actions and behaviours that lead us towards pleasure. Because the opposite to threat and pain is pleasure. And so when we can actually rewire and, you know, tell that, uh, that army who's constantly on the lookout for the invaders, hey, we're actually really safe. You guys, we don't need you right now. When they are fine, the information's filtered in. It's not activating those stress centres anymore. You can be present and the presence releases oxytocin because there's deep connection in safety and the deep connection in safety gives you a dopamine hit without needing the stress and pleasure. Yeah, right. So how then the, the question is how do you achieve the safety? Mm, yeah, okay. Healing. Yeah. Healing. So do you guys actually want to want to play a game? Like do you sure. actually want to get to the bottom for you? Do you feel courageous enough to want to have a go? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm keen. I'm going to stand for got, a minute because – have you got pen and paper? Yes. Yes, we do. Oh, do we need the pen and paper each? Probably. Yeah. Right. Get pen and paper each. Two seconds. And I'll do it this way so that um, the listeners can play along. Okay. All right. We're good to go, I think. Good. All right. Um, so we're ready for the game. All right. Now we're feeling courageous. <laughs> so we're going to play a word association game. Now with this game, you've probably done something similar before. You're just going to say the very – or don't say it, write it. Ash, Ash can um, people at home play with this as well if we're yep. – Absolutely. Okay, awesome. So if, you, if, you play, if you're listening and playing along at home, you're just going to pick up a pen and paper or you can write it in your phone, do whatever you want. But we're going to play a game of word association. So we'll just practice first. Do you want to practice first? Sure. If I said to you – Green. What's the first word that comes to mind? Peas. Red. <laughs> Ash, I think your brain's broken, mate. 
James said peas. <laughs> <laughs> they're green, man. We've spoken about peas today. Yeah. All right. So what I want you to do is close your eyes. Mm-hmm. Take a nice deep breath in through your nose. And as you breathe out, just let your shoulders go nice and floppy. Just imagine that they're like a block of butter melting in the hot sun. Don't have to imagine. So tell me the first word that comes to your mind when I say ice. Cold. Drink. All right. That's so keeping your eyes closed. Summer. Winter. Umbrella. <laughs> All right. So Ash is going to do science. It's okay if it makes absolutely no sense because that says to me that you're actually playing the game. Like you wouldn't consciously think that, right? So now what I want you to do is I'm going to say a sentence. Like if I said the grass is, you're just going to say green or whatever you would say. Okay. So you're just going to say, not even say, you're going to write down the word to finish this sentence, okay? Are you ready? Very first word that comes into your mind, even if it makes no sense. Are we allowed to open our eyes now? No, not yet. (laughs) Not until you've got your word. Okay, right. I'm not worthy of. What was it? Write it down. Ooh. Even if it makes no sense. Or is it the first one word that comes to your mind as well? Fuck, that's not. mm, Okay. Closing your eyes. Mm -hmm. I don't deserve. What was it? Write it down. Fuck. I I sort of feel like I'm finishing your sentences, but I guess, yeah, anyway, this is So we'll we'll come to it in a sec because I have no idea what you guys are writing down. So This is. <laughs> All right. This is deep the for next Ash. Oh, was that sorry? I can't. I feel like my previous answers are influencing my new answers. Yeah. Is that okay? Just whatever is the first word that comes to mind. Oh, this is not a good, I don't like this activity. <laughs> I'll keep going with it, James, if you want to. I'm continuing. Please continue. The next one is I won't. The next one is I'm not. And we can stop there. I can play this game all day, but that's a good start, right? Is anyone brave enough to read out their list? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What did you get? Um, so trust. So I'm I'm not uh I'm not worthy of trust. The first one I said was I'm not worthy of trust. No, that was your second one, I think. Ah. Uh, you sure? I don't know. Well, first one was I'm not worthy of. So what was your first word? Trust. Love. Okay. Now, I don't deserve. Love. Love. I can't. Breathe. Love. I won't. Steal. Leave. And I'm not. I've got efficient. Worthy. Okay. So do you know how I know that 
they weren't words that you just thought about because you did them quickly. You literally did not have enough time to analyse what I said, apply logic and reasoning and come up with the right answer. So the reason it has to be the quick, sharp, fast responses is because that is the automatic programming that is in your deep subconscious mind. How did it get there? Zero to seven. Mm-hmm. The same way that my daughters would have gotten or that my daughter would have gotten mum doesn't love me, I'm not good enough, I'm not good at art, the same kinds of belief systems when she was four when I threw her craft in the bin. Ah, so zero to none seven. Of it, and this none is what, of it's true. This is what Candace said as well, zero to seven, didn't she? Yeah. Was, zero to right. seven because purely from a brain development perspective, it's when our entire sense of self and identity is formed. So just like I said before, um, my, my dad had his own issues when I was a child and there were times when I went to bed alone and he wouldn't, like, I, I would fall asleep and I'd be going, come and give me a kiss goodnight, come and give me a kiss goodnight, and no one would come. And so I felt like I wasn't worthy of love. And actually just recently, this is pretty intense. Like I told you guys, my first suicide attempt was when I was 14 and I wrote letters to my loved ones and I wrote a letter to my dad And just recently, actually, not too long before Father's Day this year, my dad found them in a box in the shed. Oh, Oh, wow. And he read them. Wow. And so he read the letter that I wrote to him when I was attempting suicide because I felt like he didn't love me. And imagine being a father and experiencing that and knowing he knew how much he loved me and he was so hard on me and he was so, he rode me so hard and pushed me so hard that I believed I was never good enough. But he did that because he was a meat worker. My mum worked at Coles. He wanted more for me. He He did that because he loved me. He just didn't know how to love me in a healthy way because it was never modelled to him. Mm. And he wanted me to have a better childhood than he had. And I did. His childhood was horrific. Mm. So for him, he, everything he did was for me. The sacrifices he made, the way he pushed me, the way he disciplined me because he wanted me to be a good person. He wanted me to grow up. My brother and I, I, like I said, I've already told you my hyper achievements and my brother is a very, very esteemed um, project manager, civil engineer. He's very, very successful. So to an extent, we can thank our parents and go, wow, they did a great job raising us, didn't they? But we both had mental health issues. We both... Feel, felt like, you know, we've sabotaged our lives in lots of ways and both used work to escape the pain that we didn't want to feel. Mm. And so what happens is if you have those belief systems, um, I think you may have both had I'm not worthy of love. Yep, yep. Now, if I said to you, hey, are you worthy of love? Logically, you would know you are, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. But that's like someone who knows that smoking stinks and it's expensive and it is literally killing them. Yet that's not enough to make them not smoke. Mm. Because the belief tied to smoking for most smokers is that smoking calms me down. 
or it might be thinking back to the human needs. It might be smoking gives me connection because they smoke socially or it might be. So then when you take away the smokes, it's not the smokes that's the problem. It's the fact that if you take away a human's connection to another human, it feels like you're going to die. And so when you can safely connect with people without the cigarettes, all of a sudden you don't even think about the cigarettes. This is how the whole process of hypnotherapy works. It's reprogramming the meaning-making associated with these things. So for me, I had the belief system that I'm not worthy of love, and I'll reassure you that that is the most common belief system of every single human being I've ever worked with. So if you got that, congratulations, you're normal in 2022. <laughs> I think we, we grew up in a generation, right? <laughs> But but parenting, when we were probably kids, for me, it was like, you know, fear and punishment. Mm. Now, if you are afraid and you're being punished, you are going to develop the belief system that I am bad, I am naughty, I am not good enough. And if I'm bad, then I don't deserve your love. And if I've been naughty, then I don't deserve your love. It's, it's just how a child's brain works. Mm. So that's why it is the most common belief system that I have come across in my work. But without fail, this has been the one thing, even with adult men who have said they've never been able to feel, they feel like they should know what love feels like, but they, they don't. They feel like they can't connect to their kids. Their kid could be crying and they, they know that they should, like, hug them or something, but... They just get angry. It's because the wounding in them is actually being triggered by the wounding of the child in that moment. And so from a primitive brain perspective, what are we driven to do? Away from the pain. Towards pleasure. Towards pleasure. Mm. And so when you have children who are just normal children, every child is going to cry. Every child is going to have a tantrum. That's normal. But if we don't feel safe and if their tantrum, like even me as a mother, right, my kids would have tantrums at the shops. Now, if they're having a tantrum but my identity and my sense of safety and significance in the world was based upon my desire to be a good mum, if someone else, if my child was having a tantrum, what did that mean? It meant that I wasn't a good mum. And if I wasn't a good mum, that was fear of rejection or fear of judgment. And so I would do things in that moment purely unconsciously because my safety was dependent on what someone else thought of me in that moment. Mm. So the point of my work, when I say sovereign, Sovereign is the opposite to dependent. My okayness is completely sovereign to whether or not my child is having attention right now, which means that I am able to remain connected and grounded to them in their tantrum. If I'm sovereign, I'm able to remain grounded and centred when my partner is having a tantrum because of something that has triggered him. If I'm sovereign... I'm able to remain grounded if my colleague is late, but I really value being on time, you know? 
it doesn't mean to say that we can't set a boundary and that we can't take action or that those behaviours are necessarily okay, but it doesn't have to trigger me because my okayness is not dependent on all these things outside of me. And if, if you can nail that, your whole life will change. Awesome. That seems like a really good place to wrap it up. Can I just ask one question only because of what you do? How, what do you see as, you know, you've got your brain, which is the science, and then your mind, and then you've got consciousness. How, mm. do, they, how do you see those three interplay with each other and, and what, what is consciousness to you considering you do so much work with the brain? Is that a good question? We might have to have a whole other episode on consciousness. Maybe we do another one. Maybe we do another one. But, yeah, I'm, like, I'm just curious. It's, yeah. a, it's a fantastic question because we hear mind, body, spirit or mind, body, soul, right? So the way that I see it is that the body is the vessel Spirit integrates into body and the mind is the emergent property of the experiences that we have. So for me, my body is perceiving things in my environment, but my mind is created as a result of what I'm perceiving. So my mind might have, um, I'm not worthy of love, but my spirit is pure love. Mm. And so if my spirit says in, you know, say my soul, if my spirit says I am worthy of love and I am love, but my mind says I'm not worthy of love, I have a misalignment of truths. And if I'm living in a misalignment of truths, that manifests constant chronic dysregulation of our nervous system. So the work that I do is bringing all of that back into alignment where our body reshapes the mind. So there's a biblical verse called to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that is just absolutely profound to me. And that's exactly what Peter Crone's work is about, the mind architect. So if we can reshape the mind and we understand neuroplasticity, that's what my PhD was in, but there's more to it than that. And so when you then understand the integration of spirit, and the most beautiful thing with the clients that I work with is when they actually experience that version of themselves again. So when you're meditating, if you ever have those moments of pure lightness and love and peace and acceptance, that's you experiencing that spirit self, your true self at soul level. You in that moment don't have judgment. You don't have right. You don't have wrong. You don't have hot. You don't have cold. It just, it is, it, it is what it is in that yeah. moment. And so when, imagine being able to take that experience into your day-to-day -day life. And that, that to me is like yeah. pure, pure presence. When you're in that, when you're in that blissful state and you've, you're there and you're centered and you're just, you're just completely present, like the power of now, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. When you yeah. are fully present and you're in that state. That is true power and true alignment and true presence to me, yeah. Exactly. And so another biblical principle that I love is called the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So the fruits of the Spirit are, so when I talk about that soul spirit state, the fruits of the Spirit are, um, I'll get them wrong, but love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. 
that is the natural essence of us as spiritual beings. So have you ever heard we're not humans having a spiritual experience, we're spirits having a human experience? Yeah. Yep. When, when we get that right, when we are connected to our spirit self and we reestablish our identity as who we are in spirit, disregarding all of those, uh, all, like our sense of identity based upon what we've learned about the what the world has told us, that we're good, we're bad, we're fat, we're ugly, we're, you know, sporty or whatever it might be, that's how we achieve sovereignty because we recognise that actually my identity is not tied into everything else but my, my sovereign soul self is actually in unity with everything else. I'm not separate from it. Mm-hmm. And so that brings in consciousness. Consciousness is everything and nothing. It just is. So the difference between mind and body is I am tall. I am female. I am, it's a nounified version of self, but consciousness is simply I am. Mm. So take joy, for instance. Joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So if you've got joy, joy is not the same as happiness. Because happiness is dualistic. The opposite of happiness is sadness. But I can experience joy, and this is where I'm at in my life now. I've done heaps of healing, guys. I'm not healed. I don't believe we ever are healed because there's so many layers that will continue to come up, but I'm constantly healing. Mm -hmm. And who I am now is completely different to who I was previously. But I experience joy, and people comment on that when I walk into a room. I have that energy. I experience joy even when something sad is happening because sadness is simply an experience of the flesh that my human body is perceiving, but I can still be experiencing that state of joy. It's not like a thief that comes and takes happiness. Like I can't have happiness and sadness. It's a dualistic world. I can't be hot and cold. I can't be male and female. So it's this nounified version of self that is really destructive. Right. How, <laughs> I was going to wrap it up before, but um, just quickly. How important is spirituality? Is Because, um, I mean, you've made mention of some spiritual, um, I don't know what the word is. Anyway, but, yeah, how important is spirituality? Um, to bringing up young people, to being part of our part of our life, because I mean, I was bra- I was raised as a Catholic, and then I've gone more to being agnostic. Um, now bringing up a child, it's like, well, hang on a minute, maybe I need to believe in something greater than just this experience. Mm-hmm. Is it important from a neuroscientist belief? Like, yeah. That's a really interesting question, actually. And some of the most profound neuroscientists in the world have led their journey to to spirituality because almost everyone who studies this begins to recognise that the nervous system is the gateway. For us to perceive a supernatural experience, it's energy. Where do we perceive energy? We perceive it in our nervous system. That's what gives us that perception of danger. That's what gives us that perception of love and peace and joy and lightness and all those things. We feel it in our nervous system, just like the activation, right? So I would say that it is absolutely essential. Um, 
But in terms of the labels, I, I would consider myself a spiritual Christian or a spiritual Christian. Christianity to me, any kind of religion to me is just another label. It's man-made. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, from I grew up uh, Lutheran and I was belted with Bibles. Again, fear and punishment. That was it, it didn't matter whether it was in my home or in the church or at my school. It was fear and punishment everywhere I went. And so I had massive triggers and massive trauma around religion and the Bible for many, many years. And it's only been in the last probably 18 months, two years, that I've actually picked up the Bible and read it as a spiritual text Mm. as opposed to religious dogma or indoctrination. And the wisdom that is in those pages blows my mind. So for me, that really, really... Um, inspires me and I can, I'm a deep thinker, so I can dive right down into that. But I, it was actually um, not until I got a study Bible that made it easier for me to read it because it goes through and it explains what was happening in the world at the time and who wrote it and when and why and who it was for. Because if you don't have that context, we read it based upon our interpretation and meaning making of the world. Mm. Which is quite, right. which is like when I've ever heard the stories or whatever, I kind of take it quite literally. You know, like, yes, it's like not Noah supposed built, to be a yeah, story. Noah built yeah. an ark with all the animals. Like that probably didn't actually happen because I don't think it's possible. Oh, we won't go into that. We won't go into that. Theology. But I'll give you, so I've mentioned my son. Um, uh, so my son who is very sensitive. I gave the example that I couldn't even use the heater in my car to, you know, defrost my windscreen because he couldn't handle the sense of the um, air coming through the vents. My son is extremely spiritually connected and he's, I mean, most kids in zero to seven are because they don't have the, um, the filter system yet to apply logic and reasoning. So they're much more perceptive to what's going on in the world, whereas adults just won't see it Mm -hmm. or won't feel it because we're so good at numbing out and dissociating. Um, But my son will go from making a fart joke to saying, oh, (laughs) he'll receive some kind of profound spiritual message and we're like, whoa, like that's incredible. But that for him and nurturing that has just been absolutely incredible because Kids will be mean at school. That's to be expected. But for me, human, if we are humans having spiritual experiences, we're still very limited because that means that society would say, oh, it's absolutely fine for him to go and hit the kid back. He deserved it. Or I should be mad at the kid for doing what he's done or whatever it might be. But the reality is what is, is. Mm. And what happened, happened. And what happened is perfect because it happened. We can't change it. And so for him, our spiritual journey has been about understanding and embodying, not just believing, but embodying, being a spiritual being, having these human experiences. And human experiences give us wisdom and human experiences give us lessons. But it also teaches us compassion and kindness and patience and all of those things. So to hear my son as a nine-year-old come home from school and say, this kid was really mean to me today, can we pray for him, mum? That is 
abs- it blows my mind because as a nine-year-old, that kid understands that happy people don't hurt people. That's and amazing. for that child to be so mean, he's having a hard time yeah. and he doesn't need fear and he doesn't need someone to come and be mean back to him. He needs love and he needs someone to be in his corner. Yeah. 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 People in pain create pain, right? That's what they hurt say. Hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And um, that, as a mother, that just, that fills my heart with so much love because he as a nine-year-old is more emotionally responsive and sensitive than most, most adults. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, which is really, and that must be a, yeah, when you see people like Donald Trump get into, um, yeah, be a president of the, of the free world, it's like, <laughs> fucking hell, what is going on with it? You know, like, Jesus. Anyway, yeah. won't get into that one. Um, I mean, I don't think we yeah. have any more profound yeah. questions to ask you. We, we, we saved the best till the last, by the sound of things. So, oh, we could come back and chat anymore, anytime. <laughs> yeah. So if anyone has any other questions, yeah. follow it up. I'm more than happy to address it. Definitely. My favourite thing is why am I the way that I am? Mm-hmm. Because yeah. there's always an understanding from it's keeping you safe from something, it's protecting you from something, and if we can really understand that rather than resenting or working against the so perceived negative experiences that we're having, we can learn to appreciate and love them, but also learn to release them so that we can move forward without them. Because if they're actually causing problems in our relationships or problems in our life or problems in our health or problems in our workplace, then it's not serving us in a positive way. We need to resolve it. Mm, yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, I could, yeah, I reckon I could pick your brain a lot. Yeah. Um, about some anyway but so definitely round two is needed yeah 100%. so yeah maybe yeah. maybe in season two post post um james's baby i feel and i feel like yeah we're like scratching the surface here of how deep this rabbit hole goes yeah um, totally really so what can i ask one question yeah go for it what is one immediate action based off everything that we've covered and everything that we've learned about yourselves, about your partners or children, what is one immediate action that you can commit to walking away from our conversation today? I'll go first. Please. Because James is going to take a while to think. Um, For me, uh, it's staying level-headed, being that don't giving in, like reducing giving in to um, throwing tantrums back you know, and being that level person, that sovereign person, so that, you know, because you've just cemented it in for me yet again that, you know, somebody, I mean, there's a lot of things happening in the relationship, um, lack of sleep, all of that, which, you know, um, you both are going to get affected by, but if you can stay stoic and neutral, it's going to reduce the amount of pain both for everybody involved so for me my biggest takeaway will probably be to try and stay level-headed as much as possible so that the um tantrums i guess are lessened the degree is lessened the time Mm. awesome so that's a great outcome what's the action how do we measure that ash how do we measure that how can you tick that off (laughs) <laughs> as done <laughs> how can it be a what smart what is an action that you can go and do as soon as we're finished our call to work towards a positive outcome 
Yeah. Yes. How do I action that? <laughs> um, well, what's any action that you can do to create safe and nurturing connection? Um, James? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, it could be steps towards... Um, I'm still struggling to find out what I'm going to do. You already said an example earlier. Did I? What did I say? Can I use that one? You had said earlier you were going to go home and give a massage. <laughs> oh, I can do that. I'll do oh, that. That's my thing. I've done it. Like that. So now you can tick it off and say I've done. I've made it. See, it's, it's it's specific. My partner's going to be asleep when I get home. But it I guess have to be tonight. We can do it. Do it. Yeah. Why don't you do it um, as well? We'll be mass- masseuses this weekend. At some point, <laughs> massaging is not good for my. Now this isn't just a one-stop thing, all right? It's no, not no. just your partner's going to be like, get that chip back yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> so when we do goals with K two and you know, and with that's my mentoring program, and for business, it's like it's got to be a smart goal, which is specific, measurable, um, achievable, realistic, and time based. So in order, yes, in, in order to be able to say you've actually doing something and you're actually right. making you can't just go oh i'll i'll do this because then there's no accountability okay so if you can't yeah, take- but i haven't asked you for a goal i asked you for an action oh uh, i'll uh i'll wake up earlier oh actually that's something i was going to come back to really quickly on the waking up mm. could i inspire an action for you yeah for sure I need so all this help. is something that I've observed for me because I was logged out. I was like completely exhausted all the time. My kids would wake up super early and every single time my kids would come in in the morning, I would roll over, look at the time, and my energy was like, oh, can't do this. I think I know the answer. you got to sleep, Ash. <laughs> but, but then when I actually thought, if my kids are on the receiving end where every time they walk into my room and they are met with, oh, yeah, what assumptions are they making? Yeah, I'm yeah. not good enough. Mum doesn't want to see me. She's not excited to see me anymore, blah, 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 right? So I made a conscious effort, even if internally I was like, oh, it's 5.30 in the morning. I'm so tired. I really don't want to be awake. I would be really intentional about my voice quality and go, good morning, baby. I'm so happy to see you. And then roll over. Well, I could say, yeah, I could say, mommy's so tired. Would you like to snuggle up to me and we could have a little cuddle? Or like I could put something on TV or whatever. Like they could watch something. Now, I'm not saying don't ever watch TV. There's absolutely times in my life where I prioritise sleep while my kids watch something because I was a better human for it. Mm. I was a better mum to them for it. I was like a more functional person. You need to talk to my partner. Because so, I'm all for the I'm all for the I'll put the wiggles on now. Me and mummy are gonna have another sleep or go back to sleep. I'm all for that, but my partner, not so much. Mm. She's like, no screen times. So we sit there and struggle. But having said that, <laughs> could you commit to yeah, done. Something like up. that? Yeah, for sure. That's a great oh, one. Oh, I'm so happy to see you. I love you so much. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be really nice. That's a good one. That's a great one. Yeah, that's actually really handy. handy. And I'll stick to the massage. Yay! <laughs> we'll do that. I she's going to watch. She's going to listen to this and I'm going to be held accountable. So <laughs> I, know it's ha- I know it's happening. I, I, I hope it's done before. No, it will be done. I'm going to do it maybe tomorrow. 
No. What's your partner's name? Alex. You're welcome, Alex. <laughs> I'll so take got, my commission later. Actually, she's going away. She's going away tomorrow, so I'll, it'll have to be next weekend. You can like, do it when this was released in two weeks. Yeah, I've got two weeks. So, well, let's hope I can do it more often because I think it's going to be – it'll bring us a little bit closer as well. Well, it's good for the baby. Yeah, and good for the baby. Actually, there was yeah, fun, funny this morning. Because remember, oxytocin – is released through touch and physical connection and safety. And so the more oxytocin oxytocin that's being released as your baby is growing, the better the mm. brain development for your baby yeah. in the first place. Yeah. So you're doing it not only for her, but also for your baby. So you can also use your voice because your voice will also be um, perceived by your baby. Nice. So use your voice and touch via yeah. Alex. And I've had to, yeah, no, I have, I've had to encourage Alex to slow down because she likes to keep her plate really full. So we've had, yes. a, we've, I've had to, I, I knew what she, I knew she needed to slow down, but she had to learn that for herself. And then, you know, things started happening. She's like, okay, I've got to slow down. So yeah, she's got to that but point. Recognizing as well, for some yeah. people, it doesn't feel safe, feel safe to slow down. Yeah, exactly. Um, but feel safe to stop. Going with touch, I had my, um, this is a really cute thing, but I had my, hand on Alex's um, tummy this morning and I just hugged her and just hug, I always hugged the baby and uh, she woke up going oh oh and I'm like what's what's wrong what's going on and she's like wherever you put your hand the baby seems to gravitate towards because it's like an interaction and I'm like oh, I've just interacted with my baby this morning which is really that's cool that's so beautiful yeah. and that that interaction it'll respond to the sound of your voice it'll respond to like all kinds of things. You're already connecting and engaging in a beautiful, loving way with your baby. Yeah. That's, um, that's yeah. so cool. That's very cool. All right. We better leave it there. I think this is the longest podcast we've ever done. So that, <laughs> all that, t- all that tells me is there's plenty more to say because we, yes. um, yeah, definitely and loving connections with babies. I get to connect with my babies tonight for the first time in a week. So oh, I'm going to go and get, yeah, let's, yeah. let's let you go. Um, thanks so much, Ash, for coming on. Um, let's do it again soon and yeah real wait real quick before you go where can people reach oh, you good one ah oh, people can reach me at drashleymorland.com so um via the website or info at bigpeoplelittlepeople.com and you do zoom calls for everybody around australia yeah around so i work exclusively online um and primarily working one-to-many now. So what I've found is that um, awareness is really important in any of this work. So as we shared stories, people, ha- you guys are going to be having like light bulb moments. So what I've found in one-to-many is actually the healing experience is so much more profound because you piggyback the awareness of others' experiences. So a lot of the work that I'm doing now is group work um and yeah we've got programs kicking off at all different kinds of dates so check out the website to find out the next one yeah we'll put some links into your profile and do you work specifically with men as well or is there um yeah so um I work with men and women. My heart for men at the moment has primarily been off the back of some personal experiences of loss through suicide and um, just allowing men to know that it's actually safe to feel. And um, a lot of men who I've been working with 
haven't had those mentors or haven't had those experiences of what safe connection looked like because in that generation it was, oh, toughen up, don't be a girl, don't be a pussy, stop crying. It was all about suppression. Mm -hmm. And what tends to happen is that that then creates a barrier of anger and prevents safety in connection so it creates issues around attachment. So that's what I'm currently supporting men through to have safety, uh, safe relationships with their partners and um, connected relationships with their children as well. Awesome. So, guys, uh, Ash is a really great place to start. Um, thanks again, Ash, for coming on. Um, lovely having Absolute you. Thanks, everyone, for watching. And this is our very first Zoom, and perhaps we'll, we'll do some more Zoom ones as well. So, um, yeah, we'll see you next episode. Awesome. Cool. See you. Thanks, guys. No worries. Bye. 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 Bye.